Hey, this morning, uh, if you're first joining us, um, we're in the midst of a series in the book of James. And uh, what we've what I've kind of said over the last couple weeks repeatedly and, and in different ways is that what we are talking about is having a faith that works, that we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that through that, that we would walk out different into a life of works in Christ that would stir us on to a living in him. And so this morning, we're looking at James chapter 3. We survived chapter 1, chapter 2. Now we're in chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the, the first 12 verses. And I get to, I always kind of have some fun with uh, you guys in second service here. In first service, you know, we're, sometimes I just kind of look at my watch and go, okay, we're a little bit on a time crunch. I'm going to unpack as much. But with you, I get to just kind of take my time and, and we get to have some fun. And so one of the things that, that I love about what James addresses, because he's talking about taming the tongue. And it really is counter to that statement that you probably learn in grade school, that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... What? Words will never hurt me. So, in this passage that we're going to look at, James really addresses, no, words do hurt, words are powerful, and words do matter. So, in these 12 verses, he's going to unpack some very biblical, important truth for us. And so, this morning, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, there are Bibles in the commons at the Connection Center. If you'd like one of those, that you can take that and have that as your own Bible. We'd love to give that to you, and also we'll have it on the screen. So I'm going to pick up James chapter 3, reading the first 12 verses. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of, of reptile and of sea creature, can be tamed, has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so as James unpacks this, what he tells us really importantly, words matter. And let me tell you something about words and the average person, that the average person and not the overly talkative and, and not the super shy introverted person and not the paid communicator, but the average person spends 50% of their day talking. 
So half of your day while you're awake, you're speaking, you're communicating. And and I know for some of you guys, you're kind of going, no, 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 no. I don't think so because I know the stats about my woman. I know the stats about my wife because it says that on the average, women speak 20,000 words per day. And whereas men speak only 7,000. And for you men who heard the 20,000 word stat, you're going, I'm already tired. So for here, what we see is that the average person, not the, not the differing stats, but the average person, if we were to put all of these words for the average person into print, the result would be this. A single day's words would fill a 50-page book. In a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. That's average. Okay? That's average. Now, that's not the minimum. That's not the over. That's average. So here's what that tells us. We're constantly talking. We're constantly using words. We talk to ourselves. We talk to others. And, and yes, text messaging and Facebook posting and social media, all of that counts. We're communicating. And here's why. Because we're communicating based on being creatures created by a God that communicates via words. That he communicates in many areas, but one of the dominant ways that God communicates to us is through his word. And so for us, we are constantly talking, we're constantly thinking, and we're constantly sharing what we think. Not always good things, but still sharing. And some of us are external processors, some of us are internal processors, and all of us, wherever we're coming from, talk a lot. And so one-fifth of your life will be spent with your mouth open. Hopefully not now in this moment, but one-fifth of your life will be spent with your mouth open. And there's a lot of opportunity with your mouth open to bless, and there's a lot of opportunity to curse. And so with your mouth open, the issue is the tongue. And so James really addresses the, the tongue is without a doubt one of the most difficult members of the body to control. And it also has the most powerful response, powerful action. And if we look at words throughout time, words have brought great victories. They've brought, they've brought great defeats. Words have changed the course of history. And so as we look at these 12 verses and unpack them, James first gives all of us, if you kind of thought you're, 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 you're getting the escape because you're not a teacher, he really gives all of us this warning and then shares an issue and really then we'll look at the resolve. But the warning that he gives us is that not all of us should be teachers. Not all should be teachers. James opens up with first talking to those teaching currently. And then he gives something here for the hearers as well, because the warning is not just for those currently teaching, but for all of us. Because James doesn't say, let not many of you be teachers. He says, let not many of you become teachers. And so he reminds all the church, listen, if you're going to step into this, here's the warning. Not all of you should, okay? And then James says in verse 2, I think a verse that's really important, all of us stumble in many ways. And so all of us have struggles. All of us have our tendencies to go off from being a servant of God to try and please man and in our struggle. And so everyone, all of us have faults. All of us in our humanness struggle. But there are some that struggle more than others with the improper use of the tongue. And this is a major one for them. And so really James addresses that it takes a spiritual maturity, what he calls a perfect man 
to not stumble in those words. So he says, we really have to address it with spiritual maturity. And so be careful when you consider stepping into a teaching role. Because also there's a lot of teachers out there that we probably shouldn't listen to. There's a lot of teachers out there who would step into it going, man, I'm, I'm excited about this. This seems like a neat role and really are counter to the gospel. And so we need to be careful of who we're listening to as well. I remember back when we were studying First, uh, First John in our series, Love One Another, when we talked about false teachers, I gave you some questions to really ask yourself when listening to a teacher, even for you to, for you to consider these things when I teach, for you to really have discernment together when you are listening to someone, to ask yourself, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? What do they preach? Are they preaching the gospel in a whole message or are they preaching only a piece of it? And does what they say in entirety, not in a five minute snippet, not in a 10 minute snippet, but entirety, everything that they say, here's where I stand, here's what I believe, here's where I approach this, does what they say in entirety line up with the Bible? And so we really have to be careful when it comes to teachers because a lot aren't heeding that warning of James. They're just kind of stepping in. Hey, this will be cool. And, and, and without, without weight to that role, they're just stepping in. And, and then here, here's the thing that I think we get wrong. That, that's a real important one. James is not talking about a leader or a teacher that goes above the church. He's saying this is a leader that goes before the church. And so that understanding is really important for us because our tendency is to put leaders on a pedestal. Oh man, this is my podcaster. This is who I listen to. This isn't my pastor, my podcaster. This is who I am gleaning from. This is who I'm listening to. And then when they struggle and they fail, we just are angry with them. We're going, how dare they? Because we've put them on a pedestal. And we haven't understood that teachers and leaders and pastors are not at this hierarchy. They have a high responsibility, but by God, they've been gifted to go before. So not above, not, not better than, not more spiritual than, but faithful to go before. See, there's great responsibility in this role. And, and here's what the, the key to me that, that I just keep always remembering. It's a heavy weight upon one's soul that they are teaching and leading others for the sake of their souls. And so really, this isn't just something that we look lightly upon and go, oh yeah, warning, okay, I shouldn't be a teacher, but I'm maybe gonna play with this a little bit. No, because becoming a teacher is a serious matter of living out the gospel and modeling it to others. Remember too, here's, here's a great example to maybe sober you up from thinking if you're someone who just wants to step in to the glamorous life of teaching, that becoming a teacher means planning 52 messages per year, spending on average 480 hours planning, praying, preparing, and then for 52 hours a year, communicating it. And that's, that's just the teaching on the Sunday morning. That doesn't include the midweek shepherding that is critical to that role. And that's just statistically my hours. That's just the time I'm spending. For some, it's less. For some, it's more. And so that role carries a great responsibility. We see from Paul, his words to the church in Ephesus remind us of this importance and this critical responsibility that he told them in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that role is critical. But that role isn't about you. It's about Christ in you and how you are equipping those. And so James says, let's be really sober-minded about how we approach this, that not all of us should be in this role. Remember, the body of Christ is not one piece. It's not just a mouthpiece. But as Paul describes the body, it's all working together in unity. And so if you're someone, let me just give you some some stats here for a moment. Some of us may fi- find stats daunting or confusing or frustrating or, 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 or you're a stats junkie, so then this is for you. But if you're someone who just really feels like, man, I, I think I could do this. I-, I think I want that cushy job. Let me just sober you up for a moment here, okay? 90% of pastors, and this is worldwide. This isn't just our community. These aren't my stats. This is worldwide. 90% of pastors and teachers report working between 55 and 75 hours per week. 70, 70% of them feel grossly underpaid, some who shouldn't be paid at all. 70% of them constantly fight depression. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. And 50% of the ministers starting out will not last five years. Now, here's what's really intriguing. That last stat, so half of them are not going to last five years. It goes from 50% to 92% when you're under 30. So not that that's encouraging or anything for me who's under 30, but, but that goes up higher. They, they, a lot won't last more than a year. And so here are the statistics. Here's the reality because some are going into this role too quickly, not understanding the weight of it and the importance of it and understanding that it's not just about what comes out of your mouth, but what's flowing out from your heart. And so James really addresses this with this warning. So let me just tell you something important as your pastor. I love being your pastor. I I read these statistics and I don't want to get overwhelmed by them. I want to fight them. And, and, and I love the opportunity to open up God's word week after week, sometimes, so, sometimes in fatigue, sometimes in my own humanness, and just going, God, work through me, this, this, this brittle, little, stubby Norwegian kid that, that, that just wants you to be made known among your people. I love being your pastor. And imperfectly but faithfully, I feel called to teach. I feel called to teach the word at age four was when God spoke to me and told me, this is your calling. And, 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 and let me tell you that that wasn't some perfectly formed piece that at four, you know, as you see, maybe in some films, like I know everything. No, 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 no. That's the beginning of the process where I just felt the weight of God say, I want to use your hands. I want to use your feet. I want to send you. And then at age eight, I spoke my first message to a group of homeless men at the Everett Gospel Mission where my dad was the chaplain and let an eight-year-old preach a message where I used checkers, the black checkers, giving the example of sin and the red checkers, the example of the blood of Christ saying, when there's sin in your life and this is what your life is about, there's no room for the blood of Christ. But when you let go, we have room for the blood of Christ. And, and then from there, about five years ago, leading worship at our Mount Vernon CTK location, and not a terrible time of worship, a great time of worship. Just felt wonderful in unity with the body, putting my guitar down at the final service, 
before the pastor came up to speak, I felt God just tell me it's time for you to put your guitar down and pick up the word. It's time for you to be done. And so as many of us could say, I had, I had read the Bible cover to cover, but it's where I begin to study God's word and really experience the gospel. Not just know the information in my head, but there became a connect between my head and my heart where I imperfectly but faithfully felt called to teach. And so let me just remind you, as your pastor, I will never be perfect. And I know this. I will never desire to get up and preach to you based on knowing this warning, this, this, this piece that James is really critically opening up with It's not about how perfect I am. It's about how good God is. I want to remind you too, for for you who feels like you're just on a roller coaster in life, I'm praying for you daily. The reason why I share with you some of those, those stats, that information of the planning of the 52 messages, the 780 hours, and then the 52 hours of being up here, is because all of that... Is, is wanting to be in submission underneath the word of God, not, not above it, underneath the word of God for the sake of your soul. That, that, that as I communicate, I'm thinking about conversations we've had. I'm praying for you about the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're walking through. And, and, and know this, that, that out of my own imperfection, I never want to give you an idea that what you need to attain is, is a relationship with God like mine, but, but a relationship with God like Christ's. And so uh, these, I, I struggle with you, brothers and sisters. I, I, I struggle with depression. That, that's a big one. The, the, the percentage here of 70% of those pastors, I fit into that statistic. And I think part of that is that role. I think part of that is that, is that weight. And I know and I feel the weight of that role, as James points out. And so if I can ask you of anything this morning, as you consider that warning, whether you're going, man, I kind of want to step into that, that role, or you're going, no, I'm not at all. That's not me. Wherever you're at, here's what, here's what I would ask of you for our, for our church. Would you pray for me? <laughs> pray for me. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for this church. Pray for the church as a whole. Because here's what James is getting at the the heart of as the pastor of his church. As he's warning, he's giving a warning of himself and to the teachers that would want to step into this role. As he's talking to them, he's saying, listen, let's be careful with how we approach things. let's, Let's be careful, not so quickly quickly wanting this lead role because if you're someone who, who wants that badge, who wants the key to that door that no one else has access to, then, then is it really about serving Christ or is it really about how you look among other men? So let's be honest and let's, let's pray for one another in this. And here's what I think is really important. As believers, in one way or another, we all lead someone. And if, and if your answer is, I don't lead, then that just means right now you're poorly leading. <laughs> so let's be honest. I really urge you, be careful with your words because you are influencing someone. And this is where James really gives the issue, saying the issue is the tongue cannot be tamed. It can't be tamed. And James utilizes three images to illustrate that a small thing like the tongue 
can have far-reaching effects. And so he uses a horse's bit in verse 3 and a ship's rudder in verse 4 to really convey those that have control over their tongues have control over themselves. And he also uses the image of fire in verse 6 to convey that the tongue has great potential for destruction and harm. Think about, think about those interactions between friends. You, you hear from time to time those two friends that, that, that no longer are friends because of how they beat up one another physically, but more of the time you're hearing of what was said to the other and that divides friends. And so James is really saying, listen, there's a lot of potential here for destruction and harm. So the issue is that this can't be tamed. So to get at the heart of it, for us to look at it, James really brings up a very common and relevant problem in the church that he's dealing with in Jerusalem, where they were blessing God and cursing men. So there's this real, real issue of division here in their living. And something that we're likely to do ourselves, especially on a Sunday morning, where, where our, our issue is when we walk in on a Sunday morning and we lift our hands like nothing's wrong and, and then walk out of the building and, and just start making claims that show that the, tr- the tongue is uncontrollable where we start making claims, man, I, I can't believe that one person at church. I don't know about that person. Or then we get cut off and, and then that really gets into the cursing. You go home and watch the football game and your team starts losing. Then it gets worse into the cursing. And, and, and all along you come back the next Sunday and raise your hands. And Monday through Saturday, there begins that issue. And so James is really saying here, let's get at the heart of it. Let this, this divide is not gonna work. This issue is killing you. And so we see from James's big half-brother, Jesus, in Luke 6, 45, Jesus says this. For us to really get at the heart of the issue, here's what it says. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. And here's the sentence. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his, out of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so for us to really get at the source, what, what James said earlier in chapter one, verse 21, is what he talked about is receiving the gospel. And he referenced the importance of being doers of the word, not just hearers deceiving ourselves, but being doers of the word. And by being doers of the word, kind of the application that was important there that he gave us, if you don't remember, it was be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so church, here's, here's the piece that's really important for us to get at the source the word of God is not just for something, for, for us to look at it as something of, of pages with text, but that these words would be the implanted word in our hearts, that from our hearts would not flow our, our, our own ways, our own thinking, our own methods, but, but the word of God in our lives. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so a clear sign here for those 
that have the implanted word, those living according to gospel living, is that the word of God is written on their hearts. This is really where we see it. So, so, our own, so on our own, in our own way, we, we can't tame the tongue. We're not going to be able to do it. But what this means for us to really get at the heart of it is that the inner man, the inner heart must be under control of Jesus Christ. He has to be the Lord. He has to be the one seated on the throne of your life. Luke six forty five. out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the issue, whatever fills our hearts inevitably comes out. Whatever you are filling your life with it is what eventually is gonna come to pass in your words. And I think we, we walk in that. We don't even realize sometimes the, the passive aggressiveness that we walk into. Someone goes, man, look what, look what I just got. Man, I just got a new vehicle. How cool is this? That's great. Mine's better. Well, how incredible is this? I, 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 got, a, I got a Chevy. This is awesome. I'm more of a Ford guy. Good for you. You go over there. You get your group. I'll get mine. And, and, and we have this passive aggressiveness. I'm, I'm glad for you but I'm over here. It, that's, that's nice for you, but really what's going on in my heart is I don't care. I, I, don't, I, I don't want to speak in a way that builds you up because I have an underlying agenda here. And so the tongue on your own can never be tamed. It cannot be tamed, but, but the resolve that we see is that we need a new self in Christ. The resolve is a new self in Christ. And really what, what we'll look at is verse nine through 12, but really where we also see this resolve, where we'll look at next week is, is having wisdom from above. Not, not earthly wisdom, our own thinking, but wisdom from above. But in verse nine through 12, James concludes this section by sharing that core issue. That core issue in the Christian community that they were blessing God, cursing fellow believers. So since the tongue is uncontrollable, there's nothing we can do on our own. It speaks from the core of our hearts. What we need to do here this morning, church, is make a choice. And in the words of James, we need to choose a different fruit tree, a different spring, a different man. So, so what does that mean? Well, it means the old man, the old self is a polluted spring that can only bring forth words from your mouth that bring death. And, and that new self, that new life in Christ is made in the image of Jesus Christ and speaks words of life. So you have a choice. A choice that we all need to make. Because there's really a, a, a chasm of a difference between those two. In fact, Paul told the Ephesians in chapter four, verse 22 through 24, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So are you choosing the old self are you choosing a new self in Christ? Are you choosing the old? Or are you choosing the new? Let's, as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you some questions for you to consider, for all of us to consider together. 
Have you been set free by experiencing the gospel? Have you been set free to rejoice in others? Do you rejoice in others? And, and let, let's talk about your heart here. Are, are, you, are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you someone that the words that come out of your mouth are reflective of a heart that is just in angst, that is angry, that is jealous, that is discontent and has your own agenda? Are you angry? Are you, are you speaking out of jealousy? And, and for us looking at identity in Christ, is, is your identity set in Christ or are you an expert in all things wrong and right? Are you basing things on, on having your identity in Christ or, or are you basing it on your own thinking? Or do you constantly feel like you have to point out weakness in others weakness in institutions, the weakness of work, the weakness of church, the weakness of home, and the weakness even of your own neighborhood? Do you feel like that is your role? Because here's, here's the difference here between the old self and, and the new self, is that an identity rooted in Christ changes how you see the world. If we are rooted in Christ, then we're not seeing others based on our own vision, but on how Christ sees them. So which are you going to choose? The old self or the new self? And I think part of that choosing this morning is really, is really us choosing to confess and saying, I don't want to live by my own way anymore. I'm not going to choose to live according to how I deem things but according to Christ. And here's what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, about confession. I love this sentence. He says, in confession, there occurs a breakthrough to the cross that the root of all my sin is pride. In confession, there occurs a breakthrough to the cross that the root of all my sin is is pride. And so for us this morning, church, for us to step out and, and, and as James gives that warning and we see the issue that on our own, we, we can never tame the tongue, but for us to step out into the resolve of a new self in Christ means stepping in to confession before our God. Not before anyone else, but before our God saying, I can't do it on my own. My, my pride, it's destroying me. My agenda it isn't working for anybody. And so really when we this morning come before our God and just confess where we're at with that old life, choosing to walk in the new life becomes a breakthrough to the cross. That out of the confession, there's repentance and, and, and now walking in new life. And so as we close and the worship team comes back up, I just wanna end on this and leave you with this. One of the verses that I go to so many times, probably could find it quicker than any other verse, not because I'm, I'm awesome, but I'm not awesome, so I need it that much. 
It is Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so for you this morning, if you walked in trying to build up your agenda of the old life, it's, it's not going to work. You're still going to get angry. You're still going to be jealous because you don't see things through a changed lifestyle in Christ Jesus. You're seeing things by your own desires of your own heart. And so what we need this morning is not a list of rules, not a better method, but to give up all of that for a new self in Christ. Let's pray.